Beyond the Box 19, Take Another Look at Doctrine and Theology. Friends, I want to talk to you about an important, shall we call it, world trend. And it's not just looking forward. We also, in order to go forward, at times need to look back. You see, when Jacob wanted to proceed with his God-given future, God himself told him in Genesis 35 to go back to Bethel. He had been there once before in Genesis 28, Bethel's house of God. It's where he encountered, experienced, and did business with the Almighty. But after 20 years of sojourning at Uncle Laban's house at Padam Aram, God said it's time to go forward by going back. To me, that's why historians can make very good futurists. Because like the analogy of the swing, you have to lean backward while concurrently kicking forward in order to go forward. One of the things we want to emphasize in Beyond the Box is what John Stott, the late British theologian, taught. Practice double listening. One ear open to the word and another ear open to the world. What do you think of when you hear the words theology and doctrine? Now, for most people, to be honest, even as Christians, and I mean Bible-believing, born-again type Christians, they tend to clock off or get nervous. They see doctrine as confusing and divisive, and they see theology as lofty and beyond reach. I want to tell you, friends, if we want to go forward, if we want real answers to real questions, If we want breakthroughs in our personal spiritual lives or in the life of our community and nation, we need to return to these two important and fundamental things, theology and doctrine. Let me explain them to you in down-to-earth terms. They're not just optional extras for the super-spiritual. They are bedrock. They are the building blocks. They are, as it were, the foundation so that we can build on the faith that brings salvation and blessing to ourselves as well as to many others. Let me give you just two scripture references. One is from Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Titus 1, 9 reads, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In other words, Titus, Timothy, all that were preparing for ministry need to know sound doctrine so that by sound doctrine they can do their ministry, including persuading people as well as exhorting people to do the right thing. Important is what we've just read. This is even more fundamental. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy 4, 16 simply reads, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This is very, very powerful, because what it's telling us, and very practical as well, take heed to yourself. Watch your conduct as well as watch your doctrine. Not just your behavior has to be right, but what you believe has to be right. And whatever is right in conduct and doctrine, continue in them. Do the right thing. 
Keep on keeping on. Because if you continue in right conduct and right doctrine, you will save yourself. But also, whoever hears your preaching and teaching, you're going to save them too. Now, of course, Christ is the Savior, but we're conveying his salvational work through the preaching and teaching of doctrine. So let me repeat that again. 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Friends, this simple message is called Take Another Look at Doctrine and Theology. Now, I have been involved in training of hundreds of people for ministry, both in a formal Bible college context and throughout the years in churches, radio, books, and what have you. This issue of doctrine and theology is more than just academic. It cuts to the heart of what we believe and why we believe it. The question might seem a bit odd, even heretical, but consider the following quote. I want to quote to you from culture warrior and fellow American and Melbourneite Bill Muhlenberg, who wrote this back in the year 2009. And his topic was Time to Fight Truth Decay. But near the end of his fighting truth decay, very clever play on words, he had this to say. He says, now finally, for those of you into theology, okay, I know, I've just lost 98% of you. This is so true, and it's so unnecessary. I still remember the principal of an Australian Bible college once made this comment, we don't use the word doctrine in our schools anymore. Well, if they don't use the word doctrine, what are they teaching in the school? Well, probably they're teaching doctrine, if it's the school I'm thinking of, it's just they don't use the word. Why have we developed a phobia and allergic reaction to theology and doctrine? Well, to many people, according to Grenz and Olson in their book, Who Needs Theology? Many Christians today, theology means something alien, overly intellectual, and unappealing. Even seminarians are known to bulk at it. Now, friends, when a seminarian or a graduate student or a Bible college student bulks at theology and doctrine, I have to be honest, we have a problem. Why is there such a knee-jerk reaction against these two things, theology and doctrine, even in Bible colleges, graduate schools, and seminaries? Now, a second question, which will not be covered, is this. If they are so uncomfortable with these words, then what are they teaching? Whenever you face an issue, it is of the utmost importance to define your terms. In this case, it's easy. Very simple. What does theology mean? Well, it's a Greek word, theologia, which simply means the study of God. Theos means God, and logos, doctrine, discourse, and word. Hence, theologi, or study or doctrine of God. Can you think of anything more important than that? More important about learning about Almighty God, who He is, His plan for our lives, His glorious gospel, His will, His word, His kingdom, 
is there anything more important than that? And the answer should be absolutely not. This is absolutely fundamental to the core of our being. What about the word doctrine, which is actually in the Bible? Theology, the word is not, but the concept is. Two words make up the word doctrine, didache and didaskalia, didaskalia, which are translated teaching, instruction, learning, and doctrine. So basically, doctrine is the same as what you teach. In short, theology is the study of God, and doctrine provides the building blocks of teaching that make up theology. Tell me, is there anything wrong with that? And the answer is nothing. Going back to Grenz and Olson, they put it this way, theology is not, as many wrongly suppose, a kind of esoteric knowledge possessed by a few superior intellectuals. It is simply faith seeking understanding. And insofar as ordinary Christians seek answers to questions that naturally arise out of faith, they're already doing Christian theology. Thomas Aquinas, who lived in the Middle Ages, simply said this one-liner, Theology is taught by God, teaches of God, and leads us to God. So what's the problem with theology? Considering how fundamental theology truly is, why do educators and lay Christians seem to steer clear of even using this term or the practice of, quote, theologizing? Well, first of all, there is a spirit of anti-intellectualism. Now, this is understandable when perceptions persist that theologians are out of touch or where it's intellectuals who are professed to be wise but become fools that have been leading society down a garden pathway to oblivion. Didn't Jesus himself say that God has hidden his principles from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes? like in Luke 10, 21. We are also told in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, one of the most popular and beloved passages of Scripture, to trust the Lord with all our hearts and not to lean on our understanding. Now, the example of highly intellectual liberal theology, which has all but sapped the lifeblood out of the churches in Europe, leaving it vulnerable to ideologies, factions, revolutions, and world wars, has diminished the importance of general theology in the eyes of the Church. Even if theology is soundly biblical and orthodox, when given in a strictly academic setting without the freshness and vitality of the Holy Spirit, it can become dry and lifeless. Well, we don't really want that, do we? Another factor is the rise of subjective, experiential Christianity, putting an emphasis on encounters of the heart rather than enlightenment of the head. The brand of Christianity which fits this category, to some extent, is Pentecostalism, of which I belong to. People are encouraged to have an experience with the Holy Spirit, but aren't always taught the theological basis of why or how. Nor are they taught the theological basis that, yes, even when you're walking with God and you're doing all the right things, there still is the possibility of suffering. Pentecostals, by and large, don't have a theology of suffering, so if and when it comes, and usually it's not even an if and a when, they're totally ill-equipped to handle it and their faith can be shaken. And this is not necessary. 
There are promising signs of change in this area, thank God. But remember, it's not an either-or. You can have a spirit-filled heart with a theologically sound mind. There's a third issue that involves what we call folk theology, which is enunciated by high-profile celebrity ministers or unknown teachers. Often, they enunciate theologically lightweight doctrines which are very attractive, easy to grasp, but leave people vulnerable to every new trend, not to mention leaving their wallets lighter for all the offerings they will give. Now, folk theology can degenerate into fads, which, like a toddler's toy, is used for a time and then discarded. Fads can be based on genuine biblical teaching, but when focused on exclusively at the expense of a holistic theological worldview, it can lead to excess or deficiency. Now, other reasons theology and doctrine have been shunned are that lofty theological concepts have not been translated into a way that lay people can understand and apply. It's got to be practical, friends, because if it's not practical, it's pointless. Now, faced with either deep and confusing theological theories, for example, eschatology, doctrine of last things, last days prophecy, when is the rapture happening? Before the tribulation? In the middle of the tribulation? After the tribulation? People are trying to pay their bills, budget their balances, raise their children, save for retirement, and they don't have time to unscrabble theological eggs. Or they don't want to be scared out of their wits when you're dealing with last day's prophecy. Or there's the perceived irrelevance of high academic theology to daily living. So it can leave the average person out of breath. Many people are still trying to live their lives and heavy-duty theology without practical application or proper interpretation can leave people in the dark. Now, perhaps the greatest hindrance of all is that theology, particularly the highly academic version, with its heavy emphasis on human reason, and its nagging questions about minutia can be perceived as anti-faith. Now, it is not unheard of for people to leave Bible colleges and seminaries backslidden thanks to faith-deflating intellectualism. Grenz and Olson, in their book, Who Needs Theology, made this observation. Theological studies undoubtedly can be the enemy of faith, but the antidote to bad theology is not no theology, it is good theology. That, my friends, is a word of wisdom. Since theology is the purest form, meaning the study of God, and biblical doctrines are the building block of faith, it is important to understand this vital topic. First, learn and teach sound theology and doctrine to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and his apostles. Listen to what it says in Acts 2.42 about the early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, theology and doctrine are to the born-again spirit what diet and exercise are to the human body. They make us healthy, strong, and resistant to attack. Along with fellowship, the Christian grows through the food 
of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. They live by the water of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 38, If any man is thirsty, come unto me and drink. He that believes, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being flows rivers of living water. And then 2 John chapter 9, or verse 9, I should say, 2 John, verse 9, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. The Apostle Paul outlines a horrendous scenario in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit emphatically speaks that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith. They will listen to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. This should be every decent, good pastor's worst nightmare. Few pastors like to see people leave their church. But if they are attending another sound church, that should be some consolation. But here is a picture of people walking out of faith and church altogether. Fortunately, the scripture gives the solution to this dilemma. I have already read it to you. It's 1 Timothy 4.16, but I'm going to read it again. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. If we are in the biblical last days, and I believe we are, according to 1 John 2.18, it is time we realize both the desirability and the indispensability of theology and doctrine. Without these things informing and guiding our lives, we face the real risk of having a vacuum that is filled by seducing spirits, false doctrines, and some of them comes from demons. In essence, sound doctrine and theology is, among other things, an insurance policy against error, deception, and darkness. So friends, I'm going to stop here and we'll continue this next time. It is of the utmost importance. And I want you to feel encouraged and exhorted, not in any way dumped upon. There are people and resources, including our ministry, would love to help you learn the building blocks of the faith, which can move mountains, save the soul, and usher in the kingdom of God.